couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another that's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Well, if you don't be my little woman, and I won't buy you a dog on Hey, it's Real Randy, the number one Randy Newman podcast in the world and Canada. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network. If you're new to the show, you should probably follow us on Twitter. Go to the pinned tweet and there will be an episode guide. That way, when we talk about a certain song, it's easier for you to pause the podcast and listen to the song that we have in mind. I'll have links to everything up there. So go to Twitter, at Wheel of Randy, go to the pinned tweet, and that'll get you to where you need to go. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering, and that's it, let's start the show! It's Wheel of Randy! Folks, we've got David Pilch here today. Say hello, David. Hello. I am kind of nerding out here because David is a, a, a studio musician who has a, a discography that, that that really blows my mind. David, you've, you, you've played with everyone from what, Blood, Sweat, and Tears all the way to, to, uh, to Randy himself. That's and, right. Um, I, I, my, my wife told me not to do this, but I've, I've got to say it. You play the big violin. Yeah. <laughs> No, th- that is what it is. <laughs> it's a big Randy problem. was right all along. It is that. It is that. Yeah. Um, gosh, I, we we have plenty of, of of musicians who've been on the show, but I think you're the first one who has worked with Randy directly. And uh, oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to get some stories from you uh, oh, about no. that. I wonder if I, I wonder if there was something I signed that said I couldn't do this. <laughs> oh, probably. But, you'll but, you'll but, be hearing from none such. But I can't imagine that they, they would expect a bass player to read that agreement. <laughs> so, so um, you know, if they can't take a joke, well, what the hell? Yeah, what can you do? Um, just look, looking over your discography, there are a couple artists I've just got to ask about. Uh, first of all, uh, Katie Lang. Katie Lang meant so much to, to my late mother. Uh, and it's just, uh, just tell her thank you for my family. Oh, you know, it, it, is, it, it is amazing that, that how much she has done for so many people and how much she has done. I mean, and I, I mean, I thought I had, I thought I knew a lot of stuff about her because I started working with her in the, in the um, late 1980s. So I figured, well, yeah. And I was always amazed. As a matter of fact, I just showed my wife an interview that Katie did with, do you know who Dame Edna is? Oh yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the interview that Katie has done with no. her, uh-uh. him, them? I haven't seen that. No. It's so great. I mean, and I, I mean, I just didn't, I had no idea about it. And it was done, you know, decades ago. And I watched this interview and I just 
I couldn't believe how great it was. Like just a great interview to watch KD and get a feel for who, who she is. And, and it's, it's so great. And then, you know, one time I'm on the road with her and I'm in a hotel room and on comes, um, it, it's a, I forget what it's called. And, but, but it was a, it was a Roy Orbison concert, black and white that had Bonnie Raitt and KD and maybe Melissa Etheridge, I can't remember who the third gal is singing backup vocals. Wow. And it's and and it's really old. I mean, it's just it's amazing. And I'm and I'm thinking, damn it, she never ever said, you know, a lot of people talk about endlessly about the things that they've done. Endlessly. Especially when you're on the road, you know, and you get together with the same people all the time. They're always telling the same stories about the same people that they work with and all the things. And it's sort of, it's one of those things that, that on a good day, it teaches you to, to just, you know, maybe, maybe I just won't, you know, I know I've told that story before. So if I know I've told that story before, that means I've really told that story before. You know, <laughs> People yeah. tend to do that, you know? And I, I just, was always so impressed with how incredibly really uh, she didn't feel the need to do that, mm. you know, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and consequently you can, you can discover things about her and go, wow, this is amazing. It's kind of more fun to discover things about people that way, which, which is sort of what's, I mean, you know, I think what, what, what could be good about, you know, uh, researching stuff and finding out instead of, instead of people blurting out what they're doing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, this, so this, this show is going to depend on you blurting out some stuff you've done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely, I got a, I got a, uh, uh, you know, ringside view of some, 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 I would say preciously privileged, um, uh, experiences but i mean that's the that's the nice thing about this business i mean i i you know i've I've been on a gig with kd and been inside steven spielberg's house you know sitting in his den waiting to go play for uh bill and hillary um uh you know kibitzing with robin williams about the great escape which is playing on the television while we're waiting i mean that's the kind of thing that you know i mean that's a that's a privilege right sure and and being in the room when somebody is figuring out their song or figuring out how to sing it or figuring out what the lyrics what the best lyrics are same thing you know it's a it's a privilege i've i've wondered about the process i'm I'm by no mutants a, a musician uh, but I'm wondering, you know, just how much work goes into an, an, an album? I mean, how, how many takes are we talking on some of this? And does it vary from artist to artist? Are some of them more demanding? It, 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 it varies. It really does vary. It varies. Um, I think now with, <clears throat> with the way technology is, there can be a lot, a lot more preparation than there was back in the day when when if you if you had 
if you had a um, uh, a date where where you had a bunch of musicians show up, you would have somebody write out the music. They would show up for a Randy Newman session. I'm sure most of these sessions that they, they probably had the guys come in and they would show up at a certain time and, and the music would be there and they would play it. Mm. And that would be maybe three hours, maybe, maybe, maybe more. I mean, maybe they would have a day to do it, but I mean, back, I think back in the seventies for sure, I don't think they would spend that much time on it. That changed over time. And, and, and this project, it, it again, it, it was a privilege to have uh, Mitchell Froome call me. I went over to his house. The very, I think maybe the first time I heard the material was with Mitchell at his house. And we listened to what, what he had done because, because part of what was going on with that record was those songs were quite, uh, there was, and there's always a narration in, in Randy's music, but in this, in this case, musically, I think what was happening was that the piano was, was uh, being played narratively, you know, that the stories were, it was like almost like a, sh- like a show tune where they, 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 they were not um, on a grid, which is, which is the way we, we talk about something being um, uh, in a meter that can be uh, transported from, from place to place. It's like, you know, everything is, is, is like that. Do, right. do you know what I mean in terms yeah. of the meter? Okay. So, so th- this music was, was more like a show in the sense that it was, you know, it was, there was talking and then it would go and, and, and there was, you know, especially uh, the, the dark matter was particularly yeah. like that. Yeah. The, the great debate, that long one. It, that all of that. So, yeah. so, so Mitchell wanted to record all that live, uh, which Again, I mean, you, that that has been done. You can do that. You, you know, all the a, a lot of stuff is is you know you follow the singer and somebody conducts and, and it does that. But but it's it's not that common nowadays to do certainly not this kind of a record that way. Yeah. So so he Mitchell wanted to do it that way. So he he presented the demos, uh, which was just Randy playing in a way where it was like, how do we, you know, how do we follow this? You know, how can we, how can we do this in the studio? Well, the only way to do it for me was to learn it. So, mm-hmm. so after I heard the music, I, you know, I just took it home and I learned it. And, and then sure enough, like Randy, I mean, he, he just did it that way. You know, he, he, he tells the story and he basically tells the story the same way each time. Um, I think he, I think he has a tendency to keep maybe adding to the story. (laughs) I I felt like there might've been some improv elements going on, especially in the great debate and uh, a little bit at the end of brothers. He seems like there's, there's, you know, the the demos, the demos are unbelievable. They're so great. And, 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 and the the, the last blues, what is it called on the record? It's called sunny boy. Oh, because it's my version of it is called uh, is called the last bluesman blues man in heaven, the only blues man in heaven. Yeah, that that's a line. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that was the title of the song that I got. 
And the part there's a there's a kind of a section in that in that demo where he where he he stops the one that the original Sonny Boy stops the 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 um, the Sonny Boy that he's watching uh-huh. in the club and he and he goes he goes wait a minute because I'm Sonny Boy. Williamson, you know, and all that stuff, he's doing all that stuff on the piano, you know, I mean, it's quite produced on the record, but the way he does it on the piano, it's so powerful. He's got it all there. It's all there. I mean, he really does incredibly so have everything going at one time. He's got, he's always playing melody while he's singing. Mm -hmm. So the melody, when you hear him do a demo, the melody is always being played by him. So his quirky way of singing or not, you know, his, his, his loose way of kind of almost like speaking and singing at the same time, it's all being played on the, the melody is all being played. So he knows exactly. I mean, we're talking like very deliberate. My favorite little uh, trick that he does on this record uh, is uh, on that that last song, "Wandering Boy," when oh. he has this subtle, subtle key change at the end. God. That you're in D, and then all of a sudden you're in C. And I listened to that thing twenty times before I picked up there was a key change. If I wasn't, you know, practicing it, just hunting and pecking on the keyboard, yeah. I would yeah. never have noticed that key change. Yeah. Can I just say something about that song? Yeah. <laughs> I never heard that song, guys. I didn't play on that song. Oh, okay. Right? right? So I never heard it. I don't know when the first time I heard it. Maybe it ended up on my playlist when I was learning, because the, the, after doing that record, an even greater thing happened, which was I got to play at the Hollywood Bowl when he played 50 years of his. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? A friend who went to that, yeah. And so I got this huge list and, and actually I had never heard the wandering boy until it was on my playlist. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what kind of mood I was in at that time. But when I first heard that song, I just could, I just started like, I started crying. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and then every time I heard it, I started crying. Like it was like, weirdly, it was like, it was like weirdly tapping in to something for me. It was, it was um, doing that thing that music does to people. It, it, it's really, really something. Right. I don't, I don't know how. He, which, which for him, which was for Randy is just, that's like a card trick. Yes. That is the perfect like he, analogy. He, he sort of, he, go, he looks at that stuff and he goes, it, this is, you know, this is the effect. This is what I, this is what I'm doing with this song, yeah. you know, and and he knows how to do it. And and when I went to the rehearsal with him, because we rehearsed a couple of days with just the rhythm section before we did the Hollywood Bowl thing, and I said, I asked him, I said, would you mind playing the playing the Wandering Board because because I think I'd rather cry right now at the rehearsal. <laughs> Then not and not do it at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> and he laughed. He laughed because for him it's just a it's just a it's almost like a gimmick, 
you know, yeah. like it's not like I mean that's I'm not saying it's like I, I don't I, I don't mean like a gimmick. I just mean, you know, I think he has so much command over his abilities to write songs that that it's it, it, it's it's intentional. You know, he, like he just he just does it. It's like being able to wow people with a drum solo. You know, yeah. you're not ripping your heart. I mean, you know, you're working, you're doing your thing. But if you really know, if you really operate that muscle, that you're just you're just doing it. You know, you just do it. And that's and that's what he's that's what I think he's I, I mean, I'm amazed by that. And also, you know, there was another thing that I recall in the session that was so interesting, which was which was um, uh, how he worked with Lenny, who is his long, long, long time uh, friend. Lenny Warrenker okay. is is an old friend of his. And Lenny was there for every second of the recording. And he, he depends on Lenny as he depends on his producers and sometimes just the people in the room to get a sense of how things are coming across. Right. So, so, you know, when you, when you have to convey something to somebody, it's really important to understand how it's being perceived. And, and technically when you're a writer, you know, if you're like, especially in these songs that are dialogue songs, it's not easy to clarify who is speaking what when one person is delivering the lyric. You know, if you have, like he has John and Bobby speaking to each other. Right. But he doesn't, he doesn't go, I mean, the way a lot of people would do it was go, you know, they would change their voice so that you, you, or it would come out of this speaker and one would come out of that speaker. But when you, yeah, yeah, you got to stop. No, no, no. I, I'm totally seeing where you're going. I, I really saw that on this record with Lost Without You. And I couldn't tell, is it the husband or the wife speaking? And you almost need to take notes the first few times. Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, you, when you're writing it, 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 it's like you're a director, like filming a dinner, dinner scene. You know, who's, where's the camera? What's it looking at? What, 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 how do you convey what is coming from where and the lyric i got to see a little bit of the lyric changing as they as they tightened some of that stuff up you know uh-huh. because that that's what they do they 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 you know especially lenny so helpful for him to do to be able to do that to be able to go okay what is you know what is being conveyed here and is it clear and does this word work as well as that? i mean it's amazing craft craftsmanship Mm. you know it's not just it's not just emotional and i'm you know writing a song about that it's it's craftsmanship it's like how do you get this to work i mean that that that, the debate is ridiculous you know there's so many characters there's so many characters Yeah, yeah yeah and it was phenomenal to watch that be done by one person who wrote everything and had to figure out how to, how to communicate that. I mean, it's the same with the music. I mean, he, he, he does the same. I mean, he knows every note of the arrangements. I mean, at the Hollywood bowl, when they played the, 
the when the orchestra played the um, the movie The Natural. They did that. Uh-huh. The Natural. He's sitting there at the piano, and he is every single note that is being played. He's listening to. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, every single note by every instrument. That, I mean, that's that's not. I wrote the song and somebody arranged it. Right, right. That's, I know every single note of this arrangement. So if you flub a note, are you looking over at him to see if he picks up on No, it's not. I mean. <laughs> not that you do that very often. Sure, Don't get sure, me wrong. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, Mitchell is, Mitchell was the same thing and, uh, uh uh, there, there were, there were some, there were some uh, moments where it was, it was challenging to do that. Yeah, certainly. And then, and then him and his cousin together at, at the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, that was like watching two people from a, from another planet. Those two guys. You know, his, his, his I think it's, it's his cousin David was conducting. They're, they're just geniuses. So yeah. I mean, I was definitely like on some level petrified. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, I'm the guy that didn't really read the agreement. You know? <laughs> I, I'm so glad to hear you say that because uh, I, I, me, I, I, all I'm doing is, 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 yeah. is telling the smart speaker what to play. How do I know if someone's a genius or not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of, you know, in those situations, a lot of the time, I feel like I'm completely surrounded by geniuses. I mean, there's, there's, a, there were a lot of people there in those situations where it felt like I was surrounded by geniuses, you know. <laughs> so uh, I guess, I guess I could have taken that as a compliment, but I don't really. I take it more like, how, you know, how did I get? <laughs> How do I get, how do I get through this? I mean, the only way I really, I could get through it was to do a tremendous amount of preparation. So, I mean, I had those, I had those demos and I, I, I mean, the challenge for me as a bass player is to figure out how to, where to reside with, with that kind of piano player's left hand. So, so it it becomes less, I mean, the song, I, you know, I'm serving a song. That's always sort of the number one priority when you're working on other people's material. It's not you playing the bass; it's you serving the song. Right. And and then it's about how to to support the singer. That's very important for me is to is to intuitively support the singers that that means you know don't play when somebody's singing something where it's not appropriate to have a bass being played you know yeah and uh and then uh the the other thing that i have to do i mean this is just like a plumber you know you're an engineer this is what what you know this is engineering so so part of my engineering job uh, is is to either work with the left hand of the piano or stay away from stay away from the left handed piano. Now he plays. He's a very He has some very traditional approaches to the piano and a lot of activity in the left hand. He plays a lot of the bass notes in the left hand. He plays a lot of ragtime. Plays a lot of chords where the bass note is very specific. So 
What do you do with that? Okay, well, you have to know what's going on down there. And fortunately, I was able to get a hold of these demos and learn what he was doing in the left hand. So I could either play with it or not get in the way of it. And that was a huge part of my preparation. And it made it a lot easier to be able to follow him while we were recording. And luckily we didn't cover a lot of territory each day. We, we would do one song and we would just spend a, you know, a, a long enough time so that you could really, I could really concentrate on, on being able to support what he was doing and also being able to, to create some energy. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's always been difficult for me to be able to, to, to stand uh, firmly in my role when you don't know exactly what's happening. You know, you can't really follow. You can, the bass player can't really follow. The bass player has to be, has to be um, lay, laying it down is what we say. But it's basically, it's like you need to be at the, at the front end of the information that's coming out. You can't wait to hear what's happening and then follow like you mm. can in some other in some some other roles it's it's the trade-off it's it's the trade-off of getting an easy instrument to learn because it only has four strings and you only play one note at a time uh-huh. but the bad part is that or the tricky part is that you need to be at the front end of the information that's being conveyed you have to lead from the bottom which means you have to it has to be firm you know so so if you don't know exactly what's coming up it it changes your whole approach to how how you play you know so when you're following a piano player if you're following them it's hard to be firm because you're waiting to see what's happening well let me ask about that specifically with Randy because he has this I won't say it's a bad habit but but he he kind of jumps the gun on the first beat. Uh he seems like he's always you know uh, about about an eighth note ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he he's accompanying himself. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. He accompanies himself. So he just plays whatever goes with what he's singing. So, so, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of singer songwriters that do that. And, and that it, it, and when that is the case, then you have to be following what they do, or you have to be familiar with what they're going to do so that you can not be thrown off by it. Uh, It, it, it also, but in his case, and in, in the case of this record, the choice was made that it was going to be his performances that were used. That's what I'm talking about as a grid. His performances were used as the grid. It was not a grid that was laid down, which is, you know, a lot of how things are done uh, because we have the technology to do that. Right. Now um, the priority on this record was his performances so we were to make those performances with him, not, not be having uh, following a grid and that 
if he did something, you know, so, so there's, I'm sure a lot of places where it's noticeable that, that he's accompanying himself and, and it's not uh, completely like uh, on a grid. And it's tricky and it's tricky with a lot of, a lot of singer songwriters and a lot of people that accompany themselves. I mean, you know, solo piano players can be really brutal to play with because they'll, they'll change, you know, they'll change stuff around or they'll, they'll, they'll drop beats or they'll do stuff all the time because they're not, they're not beholden to the grid. That's not where that that's, they don't serve the grid. You know, they're not, they're not like, like rhythm section players whose job it is to, to really, to, to adhere to that. Well, let, let me contrast that. Let me compare that to, to another record that you did. That was one of my favorite records in a long, long time. Uh, Careless Love with Madeline Peru. Yeah. 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 Uh, the bass is carrying a lot of load on the on the yeah. record, um, and it, it's it. I, I I realize that that you know she's not you know composing to that no that no level but here. But... All that's all that producer. That's Larry Klein. Oh yeah, that is absolutely. You can't even imagine how worked out all that is. It's just incredible what he sees before it's done and how he maintains control over it all the way through. And he does that by hiring people that he knows will follow the, the path that he has for that. Mitch, Mitchell and Larry are not that different because, because Mitchell is very methodical and he's capable of controlling every aspect of what's going on. But this record a dark matter it was deliberate that he wanted randy to make live performances with drums and bass playing with him and guitar we cut it with with guitar blake mills was there and and um, matt chamberlain and i in a, in in uh, mitchell's studio and we just played with randy that's what we did but but Mitchell is completely like he's all about having control over it and and being able to make those choices. But Maddie's record were completely mapped out. I mean, there was there was no none of that none of that live uh, interaction that we had with Randy. Yeah, Randy was it was Randy doing the songs. But, you know, Madeline would have done a lot of her stuff after. A lot of her vocals would have been done after. I can see that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then you know, Larry would comb through loads and loads of things. And, and he was always really very, um, you know, man, I'll tell you, it's amazing how much information I can keep sorted out. <laughs> yeah. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, audience, now would be a good time to pause and listen to Sunny Boy off of Dark Matter. And after that, we're going to have a real brief interview with Jim Johnson over at KGOU. Uh, for our folks in Norman, Oklahoma, you know him as Hard Luck. He's Oklahoma's premier blues historian. He's going to separate some of the facts from the fiction on Sunny Boy. And <laughs> we will be right back. 
Schultz will be back with the rest of our show in a minute, but I wanted to take a break and bring in our very special guest today. James Johnson is, uh, what would you call yourself, radio personality, radio legend <laughs> at this point? <laughs> Ooh, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, maybe uh, long in the tooth uh, by, by industry standards. I, I don't know. Uh, uh, but o- Oklahomans will recognize James as hard luck, the the, the blues master at KGOU and KROU. You've been doing that. How long have you been there? It's been. It'll, you know, I started as a a student. I started at the radio station. It was a jazz in June festival. uh, And I was taking a summer course here at OU, an audio production course. And we had uh, a guy who uh, was teaching and he, he was, he was fantastic. And uh, anyway, he, he got me somehow connected to the radio station as a student. So I started volunteering there. And before long, since there were, it was pretty much student operated, not student run, uh, but everything was pretty manual. So you had to have somebody there from 5 a.m. to midnight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, it, it was fascinating to me. I was a music lover. Uh, longtime fan of radio, you know, just anything music. And in those days, radio was kind of the big thing. Uh, so it was it was a, a no brainer for me. I, I would be able to volunteer and hopefully work and started working as a student, started getting paid in 91. And then in 92, there was an opening for the Blues show. My buddy David Kelso went on to yep. KRXO sure. and uh, Took the blues with him there too, but it left an opening for me to step in and uh, and basically do what I've now been doing. Um, next year it'll be thirty years uh, as a blues host. I but I'm the program director too, so it's just you know it's kind of a uh, a daily grind gig with many other things. I consider the blues my the best part of the job and and almost the you know the reward at the end of the work week. Is the uh, Supledge Drive over for this year? No, we're no. right. We're we're ramping up for it. It begins, uh, I guess, the on-air portion begins tomorrow. So there's a lot going on. Okay, well, uh, let's go ahead and plug that. How? What's the best way for people to support KGOU? Wow. Well, that's awful kind. Um, best way to do it is to call three two five KGOU or go online and click the uh, donate now button at uh, kgou.org and that's if you if you like any or all of the programming we would love to have you at whatever amount you can afford i've always wondered and hopefully you can can help me with the technical aspects of this why is the frequency split why is it 1057 in the city and 1063 in norman that's a good question um so what happened is uh cage or ou had a fire breather uh am radio station and it did really really well for the station you know uh, this thing broadcast uh, far and wide and then when fm became a thing my hunch is just based on what i've heard that uh the university basically the bottom line is the university got in the game late and uh you know, didn't vie for an FM frequency until quite a bit was already gone. 
Mm. You know, and I think they were, they just didn't see the potential for FM and they already had this, um, you know, amazing AM signal reach. And so they just got in the game long. And then they relied on, I think, donated land where our KGOU 106.3 FM tower is, which is actually kind of in a valley. It's not your ideal place for an antenna, which is why because we got in the game long the the reach is was significantly compressed you know because we had competing frequencies that uh and entities that had already bought 106.3 if you will uh in other markets and so that limited how strong our signal could be at that frequency which was apparently all that was left when OU got in the game you know and so uh so that's what happened. It was kind of uh, because of those decisions, there was just a limited reach that was going to be possible anyway. And then because of where the antenna was, you know, it doesn't even saturate the Norman area, no. which they were content with early on when they got into it. But then uh, after we started broadcasting the, uh, you know, the, the public radio thing wasn't the original use for the station in the first place it was a really a student-run commercial station Hmm. and then there's all sorts of stories and reasons why um, the university came in and changed things Uh, and this pub radio was expanding across the country not just a coastal thing you know Uh, NPR and that kind of thing showed some promise and and was adopted widely by Uh, universities you know to kind of do what OU ultimately did with it turned the station into a public radio station a community uh, oriented broadcast outfit and you know the rest is history but we have so many commuters and 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 stuff and and we're really at this point um, we're kind of uh, a next door neighbor to Oklahoma City I mean we're we're a true suburb rather than oh yeah there's there's no um, break anymore Yeah. And so we had a lot of people who drove from the city to Norman. There was a lot of people asking, you know, why can't I hear you in Oklahoma City, that type of thing. So the general manager at the time, there was a long time plan to expand. But the only way you can do that is you either buy another station that has that broader reach or you apply when you can apply and and you then have to live with two different signals, which is ultimately what happened with us. It was, it was when I was making that commute, it was this kind of charming tradition. Okay. It's getting fuzzy time to, to adjust the dial just a little bit. It's like, I'm trying to remember uh, somewhere in more, I had to make the switch. It seems like, but my Costi wrote this great little ditty for us during one of our fundraisers. And it was so cool because, you know, he's he's just uh, so witty. Uh, but he basically described it in this little ditty that he wrote about, you know, right around I-240, he had to make the switch from 106.3 to 105.7. <laughs> uh, and and that's the deal. You know, it's right about I, I-40, I-240. Uh, well, not I-40, but I-240 where you make that switch. So depending on where you're at. Yeah. And I wish that there had been a show like like your blues show when when I was growing up. Uh, in I, I grew up in high school. In, in high school, I decided to to 
to get into the blues a little bit, but this was 87, 88, and I was living in an army town in Alabama. And uh, to, to the degree that my local NPR station played a whole lot of John Philip Sousa on the weekends. Wow. <laughs> and they went so, way on back. Yeah. And so there was nowhere for me to turn. I was like, I want to get into the blues. My library doesn't have anything. My radio station doesn't have anything. And so I was just kind of flying blind. I finally just grabbed some fabulous Thunderbirds and said, all right, good enough. And so for, 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 for us to have a, a show like this, it, it's something I don't take for granted. I really appreciate what you do on the weekends, sir. Oh, man. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So we are talking this week about Sonny Boy Williamson and... Uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, confusion about who Sonny Boy Williamson really is. Uh, yeah. So uh, help, help us separate between fact and fiction on, on this. I, I would say this person, but actually the, these people, I guess. So you're right. There's, there are a couple of huge blues figures, huge figures in the blues who went by the name Sonny Boy. And uh, I think in the blues, we refer to him as Sonny Boy Williamson, the first and Sonny Boy Williamson, number two. (laughs) And oddly enough, more is known about the man, number one, who died, you know, way back when and at a very young age, uh, really, as he was just kind of getting started, although he was very prolific. Um, More is known about the original John Lee Sonny Boy Williamson than about Alec Rice Miller, a.k.a. Sonny Boy Williamson II. And that's despite the fact that the second, Rice Miller, really is the guy that played with the animals, uh, the yard birds, was there to really enjoy and help fuel the British blues invasion, which would ultimately remind everyone here in America what a wonderful thing uh, the blues was and, yeah. and, you know, and kind of just, just how influential it was, not only when the blues helped to fuel the original golden era of rock and roll in many respects, played a great hand in that, as did rockabilly and country and everything else. Um, but that British blues invasion really kind of sealed the deal and, uh, and, you know, has shaped American rock and roll for, for quite some time. But uh, John Lee Sonny Boy Williamson, the first Sonny Boy Williamson, is credited for kind of being the first um, band leader, harmonica player um, in Chicago that really kind of gave Chicago that identity as, um, you know, right as Chicago was becoming this blues hub. He was not necessarily the first generation because uh, folks like Blind Lemon Jefferson and Blind Blake had gone up there and recorded. Uh, And there was a a well-known guy who recorded for a number of labels. He was kind of, uh, his name was Lester Melrose. He recorded a a bunch of people for the different labels. And, uh, you know, so Chicago became a destination for that. But of course, Chicago along the Mississippi, you know, you had music up and down from New Orleans to Chicago and back again, that kind of a thing. 
so it was already a, a major hub. Uh, and then there was the great migration for uh, African-Americans up there, too, for work and a better way of life uh, was the hope. And uh, so anyway, it, it became this recording hub and a big hub. And then folks like Big Bill Brunzi, Chaz Gillum, uh, John Lee, Sonny Boy Williamson, ultimately all kind of Memphis many would come up there and make it up there. And so it became just this well-known blues hub. And John Lee, Sonny Boy Williamson stood out because he was a band leader who happened to play harmonica. And he did so in a way that, that uh, kind of, he, he created a style and a pattern and he was a great songwriter and a very emotive singer. And he was just so good that he became his own magnet, you know, for like talent and people wanted to play harmonica like him. Uh, and, and that kind of a thing. Meanwhile, down in the South, he was from Jackson, Tennessee, John Lee Sunnyboy. Right. And he moved up to Chicago with his uh, cousin, Homesick James was, was his name, James Williamson. <laughs> My favorite blues name. If, you know, if I could have a blues name, it would be Homesick, but in part because I love that guy. He's, he's my favorite slide guitar player. But uh, so anyway, so they, so they went up there. Um, meanwhile, down in the south, Rice Miller, who was actually, I think, a little bit older than John Lee's Sonny Boy Williamson. Uh, he was kind of working. He was in and around Helena, Arkansas, is where he was known for the King Biscuit uh, broadcast, which ultimately oh, okay. kind of gave him um, – sealed the deal for him. He was going to be an influence and was an influence long before he even started recording uh, music. Uh, thanks to that King Biscuit time on KFFA. Wait, so King Hall Biscuit was Sonny Boy number two. Yeah. Okay. So the song gets that wrong, everybody. Well, it does. I mean, it seems like it does. And, and when I re-listened to the Randy Newman tune you're talking about, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Um, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm a little bit confused, but yeah, it was uh sunny boy. The second who, along with Robert Lockwood jr. Um, uh, uh, James Peck Curtis, uh, Robert Dudlow. I think, I think that was kind of the original King biscuit boys, uh, but they were selling flour for um, a guy named Max Moore and uh, doing it through this little, 15 minute radio broadcast geared towards the African-American um, listener and with uh, you know, the hottest blues talent at the time. Hmm. And, uh, and that was Rice Miller who went by a, a little boy blue earlier on before he adopted Sonny boys, uh, the Sonny boy moniker trying to play off the fame and recognition an adoration that John Lee Sonny Boy Williamson had already earned for himself. Oh, so it, it, it was intentional then. Yeah, that's my understanding oh, wow. is, uh, is uh, you know, he really traded on that, you know, and, and kind of, I, I guess, since the original Sonny Boy Williamson died at 34 back in um, 48, 1948, okay. um, you know, um, and Rice Miller didn't really start recording, I think, until I don't know when he first started recording, but he was already 30 or 30 something 
when he started recording, I think for, I want to say trumpet first. Um, but anyway, he was, he was certainly well established and both of them. My understanding is they both ran into one another. You know, there's stories from John Lee, Sonny Boy Williamson's wife, stories that were told by other blues people. I, I never saw an interview from her uh-huh. uh, that said that they kind of knew each other. And some said they had this, you know, that the John Lee, Sonny Boy Williamson, you know, went down to confront Rice Miller um, about, you know, it was angry with him for playing on the name. And then other people said, no, he, it wasn't a, a big deal at all. It was almost flattery or something. So I don't know where the truth is on that. And when we're talking about Rice Miller, most people don't know where the truth really is. Because <laughs> okay. he was he was quite something, you know, if you, anybody who ever has talked about him or written about him basically describes him as just a, a real cranky person, especially when he was fueled on the booze and, uh, and, and just somebody who didn't have a problem with not telling the truth on any given scenario. Buddy guy said that uh, if you listen to him talk, you'd think he wanted to kill everyone, you know, kill the planet, basically. <laughs> and Buddy Guy's not the, the most personable person out there either. <laughs> no, he's he's not. I, I think he's gotten better with age. Okay. Well, that's a lot to take in. You know, th- this song, when, when you don't have a background, you're like, is any of this true or is this, this completely made up? You know, Randy plays fast and loose with the truth and... Uh, you learn not to trust his narrators. Let's put it that way. You know, I mean, I thought he had gotten, you know, that part still sticks with me as I, I, I'm not sure if it's just how he wrote that. I mean, because he's telling that story, what through John Lee, Sonny boy, Sonny boy, the first's perspective. Right. And as, as somebody who's now basically dead and gone and, uh, but kind of recounting his story right through the song after that fact. Right. Uh Yeah. And then, so we get to that point where he brings up Rice Miller, Sonny Boy, the second, and basically he's in, in Newman's song, I guess Sonny Boy is still alive Yeah. when he goes to a show and hears, sees some guy booked at this venue claiming to be Sonny Boy, getting the audience to shout his name, you know, who am I, who am I, that kind of thing. Big, big old ugly cat, what was it, twice my size, yeah. half my age, something like that. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, so he's a little upset in the song, in Newman's song at that, and basically saying, wait a minute, I'm the real Sonny Boy. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure that had to have happened, um, but I, I, you know, at some in some capacity or or form you know he had to have gotten wind yeah all right so but here's where i need some guidance are you still there yeah i'm sorry a call was coming in. i'm trying to clear my screen up all right i tell my smart speaker to play sunny boy williamson how can i tell just (laughs) listening to it if it's number one or number two just what clues do i have to tell me which one i'm listening to wow you know i mean that's a great question. You know, Sonny Boy, the original Sonny Boy's material, if you don't know his signature tunes, um, like he's the originator for Good Morning School Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
he did a song Jackson Blue, um, which I, I think is is mentioned. Yeah, it's Randy yeah, Newman. Yeah, they mentioned that, that one. Yeah. one. Um, you know, he did, he did a number of tunes, but they were all recorded. I mean, he died in what forty eight, and so they're a different quality than Sonny Boy Rice Miller the Seconds material which he started on trumpet and that's pretty scratchy stuff. But, uh, but I want to say that's, that was in the fifties. So he started recording after Sonny boy, the first had died and stopped recording. So to a certain extent, you can tell by, by either the recording quality, especially when you get to the chess recordings for Sonny boy, the second um, with that incredible band uh, just sounds so much oh, better. Yeah. yeah. High, high quality. Uh, for that time and even just kind of the band makeup and 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 sophistication in some respects but otherwise i mean it really is the case it seems that uh there couldn't have been a better person to claim to be sonny boy than rice miller in some respects because he was very emotive too just like the original was with his singing style Uh uh-huh you know, kind of drawly, just colorful. He wasn't, if you get to some of those earlier blues, um, you know, they're, they're stiff. They're a lot stiffer, less soulful, but John Lee, Sonny Boy Williamson, the first, very soulful in his delivery. And uh, I would say certainly Rice Miller, very soulfully. Um, Miller's heart playing, similar, because I think he probably did adapt some of those techniques and a lot of people did that John Lee was putting out there because again he was kind of the the model he was you know the beta test for harp players being the front person yeah. and, and and really soloing you know and being um, front and center on on all aspects so I think he had some sway on that but uh, for me uh, honestly you know like Little Walter is the gold standard for blues harp. Uh, especially if we're thinking about, you know, the the people who've really just like, um, I, I would say Little Walter, well, Little Walter took it a lot farther than either one of these guys we're talking about, uh, than John Lee and Rice Miller. But man, both John Lee and Rice Miller on their harp playing can be very similar. So I would say it's really, you know, if you don't know the tunes, then... Uh, then maybe by quality of recording or instrumentation. Uh, because again, John Lee, Sonny Boy, his stuff's going to be like maybe piano, uh, drum, maybe a little bass and, you know, sometimes guitar, but, you know, usually it's kind of like a trio, uh, I think are kind of most of the recordings I've heard from John Lee, Sonny Boy. And uh, you might hear a couple of guitarists with Rice Miller and his work, especially when he got to chess or, or some other stuff. And Rice Miller's voice is older uh, sounding because he was older when he recorded. Mm. He's the one that uh, bring it on home, baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. bring it on home to me. <laughs> and so, yeah, he did a lot of stuff. And a lot of his lyrics were just kind of made up on the fly. You can tell too. They're not, they're not, you know, necessarily the, the most worked out storylines and that would be uh sunny boy the second right. james i gotta go thank you so much for your time uh I, 
want to encourage everyone to 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 listen to you. Are you, are you Saturday afternoons and Sunday afternoons? Saturdays and Sundays from one to five, uh, one to four on Sundays because we've okay. got the Beale Street Caravan. All right, thanks a lot. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know I didn't know anything about that stuff. I mean, I I found this I found the song to be fascinating. I the first you know ten times I listened, I thought that this was uh, you know a delightful piece of fan fiction from Randy. Uh, Isn't it amazing? There really are two Sonny Boy Williamsons. How, how did, where did this come from? Is this a story that he read and, and just stuck in yeah, his Yeah, that part, I, I can't really remember that. I, I, I don't really remember that part of it. I just remember having the same feeling you did. I didn't even get it until I started researching it. Uh-huh. You know, I didn't really, I just thought it was like a kind of an interesting concept that somebody would go in and, and but it, when, when it turned out that it was true, I, I became really fascinated by it. Yeah. 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 So, but I don't, I don't know where he, I don't know where he came up with it. <laughs> it's the structure of this song. Uh, yeah. I just love Oh the, my gosh. The, I just the love the start part. off so slow and then I, I just love the part because it's on the demo. It's so great. What's my name? <laughs> you know, the part where, and then he plays it on the piano. It's just like so killing. He's just so he, he's such a force. He's such an incredible force. Amazing. Are you one of the people yelling, Sonny Boy? <laughs> Is that the I don't, I don't, that I don't remember either. I mean, a lot of it is just I was, I was kind of pretty much totally in awe for the whole thing, you know. Yeah. And also, also really just trying to, uh, like I said, trying to hang on for dear life, and also trying to, you know, to really push it, you know. So, so you're trying to hang on and you're trying to push it at the same time, you know. Yeah. Uh- I, I I thought one interesting choice he made on this. Now that I've I've gone back and listened to both of the Sunny Boys, this really isn't in the style of either of them, which I think a a a, a lesser songwriter would have done. He yeah. might have tried to to, to yeah, yeah. do a, a purer boogie woogie, and uh, yeah, and it would have been a mistake. It would have yeah. come across like uh, you know, almost a blackface. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's amazing what, what he does, you know. I mean, and his piano playing is so great. Like, like you know, one of the other songs I got really deeply into was the Dixie Flyer. That's such a charming song. And it's just song, so now the good. version, do you know the version where he just plays where he just plays it on the piano? Uh on the songbooks? Yeah. I've got. I've I mean, that. I got. I got so into that. I got so deeply into that because it it started sounding like, you know, I I uh, it started sounding like, uh, you know, Professor Longhair meets Keith Jarrett. Like I just couldn't believe <laughs> the the piano playing was blowing my mind because I was again I I would the way I do it is I put, I put, I, I get what I'm trying to learn. And then I, I, I start playing along with it in a recorded medium where I can, I can isolate things and listen to them and figure out what sounds good, you know, with what I'm playing. So I get really pretty microscopic with it. And, and I was like, 
man, I started sending it to all my piano players that I love saying, can you believe what he's doing on the piano here? Plus he's playing them. Plus he's playing the melody at the same time. Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, it's like unbelievable piano playing. It's like Alan Toussaint. It's like professor long hair. It's like keep Jared. It's like, it's so great, you know, and, and it, it perfectly evokes the train. It's this steady rolling. Uh, yeah, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Now there's just there's at the rehearsal. I was so excited about that song, and to me it was like so. I got so incited, and, and I started playing stuff. There were, I guess, maybe some places where I thought the bass could stretch out a little bit, and and at the rehearsal, I I, I got I, I I went out on a limb, and I and I, I I definitely fell off the log a couple of times at the rehearsal, you know. And somebody said, I don't know if it was Randy, I think it might have been Mitchell said, you know, I mean, you know, uh, the expression for a, a mistake it, with a note is is a clam, right? Okay. That's one of the expressions for a mistake, and and I, I think I was, you know, I was so excited, and I was kind of playing out on this because maybe we were playing it it was just the small group or something and i i was kind of overplaying as i do when i'm excited and nervous and and somebody went wow it really smells like fish in here <laughs> <laughs> from, from the client from the clan you know but uh uh so so yeah it, it, it those guys hear everything they're 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 pretty genius guys, I think. I mean, I mean, Mitchell too. He's he's amazing, you know. Yeah. He did a tremendous amount of work on that record. He did so much work on that record to 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 be able to do it as big as it is, uh, and to be able to take that approach, which was using Randy. I mean, I think you know a lot of those other records that, not surprisingly, like I. I think I think that they kind of took him out of some of that stuff and then had him sing on top, you know, like the Mark Knopfler, the record that Mark Knopfler does. Yeah. yeah. It's it's almost like, okay, you know, let's not use the piano for this. And and uh, and you know, I mean it was the t- I I mean, I could I could see that it's not a criticism, but it is it is interesting how different it is when it's like that. It really is. Yeah. David, it's time to spin the wheel. Oh, oh. well, oh. I'm, I'm, you know, the chances are, uh-huh. is I'm not going to know whatever it is that you're going to play me. Well, we, right? can, we can listen to it for a couple minutes. Okay, and, great. And I'll finally have an advantage in this conversation. Okay, good. So whenever you're ready, just yell stop and read out what comes up. Spin the wheel, spin the wheel, spin the wheel of Randy. Stop. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. We've landed on the same girl. Guys, this is off of Trouble in Paradise. Oh. And uh, audience, go ahead and pause this and listen to Same Girl, and we will be right back. No, you're crying. I don't know. Oh my gosh. Well, you you um 
There's only, th- I mean, this, uh, there's so many, there's quite a lot of songs, I think, that he writes at that level. Like I said, Wandering, well, I think Wandering Boy is like oh, that. Yeah. And there's also that one, what's the one about the war? Oh, oh uh, Song for the Dead? No, or no, is- it's with, it's about the guys, like the weird guy who's sitting on a park bench and he's watching this young girl and he's oh like, in germany before the war oh geez oh like, yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. this song to me the these songs are they occupy that that particular like there's there's a combination of things that are, that are there and part of it i mean there's so much happening there like the melody mm-hmm. the lyrics are incredible the arrangement is incredible. I mean, there's so much incredible about it. And it just, that this one is one of those for me. It's just like way up there with those, you know? And they're the things, they make me, like that song, I, I, I was actually the, the first person that really turned me on to Randy actually before I even started to work with him was, was um, a friend of mine named Adam Levy, who who is a guitar player, uh, singer, songwriter, educator, amazing, very eclectic. And we played uh, Marie, I think. And uh, again, same kind of thing, but we played it as an instrumental, you know, and it, and it was so, inc- I mean, he may have sang it, but like as a play, you know, and, and in a context, not as a, we were playing in an improvisational instrumental context, mostly. And we did a few times, we would do a couple of Randy's. We, we did, we ended up doing in Germany as just an instrumental. Oh, and I thought so, that'd be great. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And this one too is like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it. it's just such a strong melody and then for for i mean the kind of music that that i really like it's just completely captivating and in, intoxicating i mean it's just a beautiful beautiful melody and and the and then the way he messes with the harmonies which is that's him you know all that arrangement stuff all that stuff that's kind of you know tense and 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 that that makes it sound kind of a little, I mean, you know, he's a great film composer. I mean, he knows what to write. You know, so it's, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of sick how talented he is, really. He is, it's, it's crazy. But then you, you look at his family. I mean, he's royalty. Dude is royalty. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like a royal musical family. He didn't have to be this good to have made it. (laughs) So I respect I actually, I think I may be saying, using the word royalty in the way that maybe we all wish that it applied, <laughs> which, is that, which is that it actually is a lineage that is passed down. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a, it is, it's a blood thing. Like he just, I mean, I'm, and like I said, watching him and his cousin at the Hollywood Bowl, that was another, I mean, you know, it was crazy for me how, how crazy musically talented they were. And I, I'm come from a musical family. I mean, my brother plays, my father was a pro, my sister plays, everybody's, I grew up in a musical family. So, and, and I grew up 
going to work with my dad and seeing only great musicians. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear a bad musician until I, I went into grade seven and started in my string class. <laughs> and that was the first, that was the first time I ever heard an F natural played in a D major scale. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, you know, I grew up only with, with basically like great stuff. So, so it, you know, to see that level of musicianship to me, it was like, you know, wow. I mean, it, it happens again. It's, it's, it's the privilege of being in this music business, you know, playing with lots of people. I mean, there's just so many people I run across that I just kind of go, Oh my God, you know, like, can you just wait up? You know, yes. you know, they've already learned it. They already know it. They already, you know, that everything, you know, they read it, they, everything. And I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm like, you know, dragging my luggage behind and all the wheels are broken just to try and keep to keep up you know I mean, he's, a, he's just ridiculous you know? but that there, that's there are a couple awesome. there are a couple things in these lyrics that really really stand out to me because this is one that uh you, you could easily hear in the background okay you're waiting for you know mikey's and my life is good and the fun stuff to come up and so it's easy to skip skip this one so when i first uh, pulled the lyrics up a few months ago. It's, it's like a few more holes in your arm. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, okay, there's there's some heroin going on here. I didn't pick up on that the first 20 yeah. times. Yeah. And then uh, just a brilliant thing he does at the end. Uh, and when you look at the lyrics, you're like, oh, this is a misprint. But no, it's not. The same clear voice that I always... He never finishes the line. It's 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 like it's almost like the character can't bear to finish the sentence. Yeah. It's just just it, it's the little things like that. I, I wish I wish he would come on the show. It would just be so fun. If he oh, I on. would be <laughs> petrified, David. That's not gonna happen. Oh, he uh, is so sweet. He's so sweet. He he's so incredible. I mean, he was so sweet to me. He was just. I just, and I got to sit right there, you know, like, especially at the bowl, the bowl was mind blowing, you know, cause I mean, I was just sitting there a lot of the time I was just sitting there. I was just sitting there like under the piano. So it was just amazing for me, you know? And, uh, oh, he was so sweet and so oh, just so ridiculously good. Yeah. Yeah. Next up on the show is called this week's cover. And that's where I recommend a, a cover song that Randy has written. Um, and I saw you played with Holly Cole, and oh, I love yeah. her version of Ghosts. And so I'm going to put a link to that for, for people to listen to, because that is such a, a, a bleak, uh, painful song, and she, she does such a good job with that. I, David, is, is Holly more famous in Canada than she is here? Oh yeah, well, okay. yeah. I and kind of got Japan, that feeling, and in, that, and in Japan, and it, I, I kind of feel like and she's, in Germ and in Germany, she's okay. quite popular in Germany and very much so in Japan. Actually, we went we went many times. There was a 
there was a song from Baghdad Cafe called Calling You that 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 only could become a hit on the radio in Japan. <laughs> upright, upright bass, piano, and voice. Nothing else. It was amazing. <laughs> and we did many versions of Calling You for the Japanese market. It was great. <laughs> Seems like she's particularly busy around Christmas time up there. So. Oh. <laughs> It's always Christmas time in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that and now it will, and now it will be too where you live. Yeah, pretty much. You won't have to buy the spray cans of snow. The the charm wears out pretty fast. <laughs> no kidding. That's why I live in California. There you go. Okay, David. Thank you so much. I've just got two more questions for you, and they're okay. non-Randy related questions. Okay. First of all. You know, you, you've played with, you know, all these household names. Who is someone that you've played with that people don't know real well that, that they really need to go out and, and get a copy of? Well, I think, I think anybody who loves Randy would love Alan Toussaint. Oh, yeah, yeah, the New Orleans uh, piano. Because right? I think there's a, lot, there's a lot of Randy's music comes from the New Orleans music. Yeah. So I, w- I would say that for me, that there was a really natural, uh, the piano style, I think Randy's piano style comes very heavily from that, that American, you know, it's, it's blues and it's jazz and it's New Orleans and it's two-handed piano. It's just a deep, deep musical, uh, uh, you know, wealth that, that, that if you love Randy, I think that you would be amazed about how much uh, of it is connected to that wealthy world, you know? I also saw you played with Rambling Jack Elliott, which made made my Woody Guthrie heart sing to see that on the credits. Yeah. Last question. What is it like flying with a bass? How does it work? It doesn't work anymore. It used to be a pain in the ass, and now it just doesn't exist. Oh, no. It used to be that you would buy a seat, and you'd get a meal, an extra meal for Mr. B. Fiddle. And and Mr. B. Fiddle would sit in the next seat, strapped into the seat. And the person behind who had the thing (laughs) get moved up to business class, so they'd like you. Yeah, okay. Nobody else would like you, but the person who got moved would like you. And they would get the uh, seatbelt extender that they have for the extra large. Mm -hmm. And that was the way it used to be. And if it wasn't that, it was a huge, huge wooden box. That was, if you were a fan of Get Smart, you'll remember the agent that would be upside down in the base trunk. I think his number was 44. Uh, Okay. he would be upside down in a big wooden bass trunk. And that was really miserable. And then they started making lighter cases that, that were, uh, you know, fiberglass and, and those things would get, you, you would put those underneath and then TSA started opening them up all the time. And you'd have people with nails that were 14 inches long trying oh. to unlatch your thing and go, sorry, we have to look at it. And you'd go, could you please close it up? And they'd go, sorry you can't touch it and then oh, no. one day you go i'm not doing it anymore i'll play whatever is there okay 
So that's what it's like for me now. I just go, what, do you, what can you get me? <laughs> I guess I can see that. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember that a couple of years ago, one of the, the big Afropop artists had his instrument destroyed by TSA. Oh, oh the Cora. The yeah, 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 yeah. Well, actually, I really missed my opportunity to say this. Could you just ask me the question one more time, very quickly? Ask uh, me one more time. What's it like flying? What, what's it like flying with a bass? What's flying? Okay, okay. <laughs> you got me there. David, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, what's the best way for people to get hold of you? Are you on social media or what's the best way? Uh, I do have um, a, a, a website and I, I have my discography up that goes to uh, um, Spotify where I put my the things that I, are, I'm proudest of that I'm that I like up there. There's a selected discography. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's a, I have a YouTube channel that I have kind of gotten into sharing archives that, that I have and, and things, things that I've done, things that my father was on, a lot of, a lot of old 60s um, jazz things from Canada that are fun. And, nice. And, uh, and I've even started to make my own kind of crazy things to go with some of the music that I do. So I would say my website is really the only way. Okay. Good deal. All right. we, will, we will put a link on that to the show. All right. I think that's it. Thanks so much for doing this, David. It's been a real treat. Thanks, Dan. Hey, that was a pretty good episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Wheel of Randy is part of the Good Trash Media Network. couple of acknowledgments. Thank you to Brian Mays for our artwork. You can find Brian online. He says Facebook's the best place to get hold of him. You search for Brian May's art and you'll find him. Thank you to Dalton Stewart and Vince Spencer for some extra voices for this episode. Thank you to Alex Sanchez for our Second Chances theme music. Thank you to Matt Farley for our intro music. You can find lots of Matt songs online at Motern Media. That's M-O-T. E-R-N Media. Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That's me. That's my day job. We are registered civil engineers in Oklahoma and Texas. We specialize in water and sewer engineering for small to medium-sized communities. Uh, A couple of things that we're focusing on right now is hydraulic modeling. Uh, Every town needs a computer model of your water system or you're paying too much in your homeowner's insurance. Long story. The other thing we're specializing in is risk and resiliency studies. Every town needs to have a risk and resiliency study turned into EPA by this summer. If you haven't done it, hurry. Give me a call. Eh, if you're from Oklahoma or Texas. Legally, I can't help you otherwise. 405-426-7634. And our new background music that you're listening to right now is Good Morning Little Schoolgirl by Sonny Boy Williamson. Number one. That's our show. Now I'm done. It's Wheel of Randy.